All right. Happy Monday. It's different than Friday. It's a special episode. Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we are exploring the landscape of learning technology while cutting through the fluff to get the questions answered you need answered to build out your digital ecosystem. Now, today I'm hosting a special practitioner episode again uh, with my good friend, Kevin M. Yates, He's our, he's our L&D detective, and even though the show's about technology, it's not just about technology. So today, we are talking about all things measurement. Kevin, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Doing awesome. It's really good to see you, Christopher. Like you said, yeah. this has been a long time in the making, so man, I am so excited. <laughs> I know, right? We, we have these conversations regularly, and now, hey, let's just have this conversation for everyone else to see. Yeah. Yeah, so, everybody else used to hear what you and I talk about. Exactly, right? It's no longer locked in the Zoom sessions. <laughs> um, so before we get started, just like every other episode, we've got a, a creative icebreaker to do, and you've had time to think about it a little bit, and I'm dying to know. But if you could spend time and hang out with any cartoon character, who would that be and why? And for those of you watching, I'd love to get your input as well. What cartoon character would you be and why? But Kevin, let's hear it. Man, if if I could be any cartoon character I wanted to be, it would be Bugs Bunny, right? <laughs> and here's hey, why. why? Yeah. <laughs> here's why. So, you know, I watched Bugs Bunny as a kid when I was growing up. And because of my affinity for Bugs Bunny, I even continue to watch him as an adult. And what I really like about Bugs Bunny is that he gets himself in these predicaments and situations that are so precarious but he always manages to find his way out of it. And he always uses humor to do it. Okay. <laughs> and so it's almost like he's building allies along the way when he finds himself in dangerous situations. Yeah. But through the way in which he builds relationships through humor, he always manages to get himself out. And I mean, like, that, like that's the main reason, right? But the other, just, uh, the other reason is I just like Bugs Bunny because he is hilarious and yeah. he, he uses a uh, slapstick comedy. Um, and I like to do that too. So yeah, okay. I, I would I Bugs would spend Bunny. some time with Bugs Bunny for sure. <laughs> you know, he's got some you very unique leadership qualities too, right? If if we want to talk about that, he, he's got some leadership qualities. I think we could all learn from. And you know what's funny is, I was going to say Bugs Bunny. Okay? Oh wow! And then I thought about it, and I'm like, ah, but in case Kevin picks Bugs Bunny, I better have a backup. <laughs> And so this one was inspired. Um, last night I was I was watching actually watching cartoons with my kid and I kids and I and I brought them back to a classic favorite of mine and I went you know what this is somebody else I would like to spend time with Yakko from the Animaniacs would be one that I I would like to spend some time he's he's a little bit crazy a little bit okay. nutty right yeah. I can relate to that um, <laughs> but sharp guy you know can sing all of the countries of the world very impressive and yeah, he's yeah. someone i would spend some time with so all right all right so there there we have it great um, question it, good question and now people have a little more insight into that and hey maybe we can get you set up with a trip to to warner brothers studio <laughs> like that you can meet the other looney tunes characters there you go yeah looney, yeah. looney tunes for life man i know i, I actually <laughs> complete distraction but um growing up in middle school, my dad actually stenciled all of the Looney Tunes characters on oh, my walls, and then nice. we actually air air colored them all in. So I'm I'm a Looney That's Tunes cool. fan. I think yeah. one more thing we have in common, Kevin, to say the least. <laughs> Among the many. Among the many. Yeah. All right. Well, so so today we're talking measurement. And before we dive into some of the just conversations that we have around this, you are well known for being the L&D detective, the measurement guy. That's actually, I think, how I first got to know you and some of the things we first talked about. But what about measurement is it that really grabbed you and made you go, you know what, if I'm going to pick my niche in L&D, it's yeah. going to be measurement because you're very passionate about it. Yeah. And um, it's, it's very interesting how that happened for me. I got to go back, oh, maybe 15 or so years of my career. Well, the perspective is that I've been in learning and development now for a little over 20 years, right? Okay. I know I don't look like it, I'm just really well-preserved. But uh, I've been in L&D now for, for 20 plus years and have worn a lot of hats, had a lot of roles across the function. 
So that you know includes like facilitation, instructional design, curriculum development, um, uh, leadership, managing uh, trainers and instructional designers, learning operations, uh, high performance, uh, high high potential development. Uh, did I say learning operations, learning solutions, yep. learning technology, yep. the whole bit, right? And so. When I was about 15 years into my career, after having all these amazing experiences, I felt as though I hit a brick wall or glass ceiling, whatever you want to call it, um, and was bored because I felt as though I could do, or rather that I had done all that I could do in training, learning, and talent development. I just felt like there's nothing else for me to do. So I was actually looking for a way out of the industry, okay. looking for a way out of training, learning, and talent development. And at about the same time that I was on my way out, I met Dick Hanshaw, who is just world renowned for his expertise in performance management and workforce performance and people performance. And he just inspired me to make a connection between how learning and development actually drives performance. And I had never thought about it like that. Um, and then shortly thereafter, I met Jack and Patty Phillips who are also world renowned for their measurement strategies for training, learning and talent development. And that was something I knew absolutely nothing about at that point in my career. Okay. And I was inspired again. So I'm like, wow, so we can build training, learning and talent development solutions that impact people's performance. Got that from Dick Hanshaw. And we can measure the extent to which there's an impact. Got that from Jack and Patty. So, on the verge or cusp of, of me leaving the L&D industry, I discovered something that I knew nothing about, which inspired mm -hmm. me to want to learn more about it. And when I discovered it, I was like, this is where I want to be. This is, it. Um, this is the lane that I want to be in. This is the lane where I want to become an expert. This is where I want to focus. This is what I want to do, period, end of story. So I think that me um, focusing on measurement data and analytics from L&D actually comes from the idea or the fact that I was on my way out of the industry because I was bored. And I found something that I knew nothing about which re-energized me um, and inspired me to push forward in this unknown uh, area, uh, this unknown discipline that I know nothing about. And the rest, as they say, is history. Awesome. You know, it's funny you you mentioned that. And, you know, when we've talked about your background, I think when I when I talk with other people in L&D, and my background is, is one uh, that's similar, not quite exactly the same, but similar in that there is something about experiencing the diversity within L&D. I think mm. sometimes it's painted with a universal paintbrush, like this is what it means to be an L&D. And many people are in you know, one capacity of that. And there is something about experiencing all those different capacities that allows you to see all these different moving pieces. And it can be very fascinating to do it. And it gives you a different perspective. I'm sure that's improved your ability to look at measurement because you understand the intricacies of all the other pieces that are moving versus only having maybe been in one. Yeah, you know, Christopher, I just consider myself to be very fortunate to have had all of those roles and all of those experiences because I think I have a unique perspective, right? Mm -hmm. I, I know what learning development, training and talent development looks like from a very broad view. I know what the landscape looks like. Yeah. And so when I'm thinking about measuring impact, uh, when I'm thinking about data and analytics, I'm not thinking about it in a vacuum. I'm, yep. I'm really thinking about it from the broadest view of learning and development. Yeah. 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 I, I completely agree. And I know I was talking to someone the other day and I said, I don't think there's a role in learning and development I haven't been in. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe some of these new emerging ones from a technical yeah. standpoint. Um, but yeah, it, it gives you a different perspective and I think it adds tremendous value. And I, I, I encourage, and I think you would too, based on this conversation that if you're in learning and development, if you're listening or watching, that's definitely something I encourage everyone in the field to do is get, get some experience in these other things, because it does broaden your horizon to how the pieces fit together and how you can make a bigger impact in the work you do. Speaking of impact. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, I, I can't imagine what my life, my professional life would be like if I were still doing today uh, what I started doing 20 years ago. Um, and I think that learning development is one of those unique disciplines 
where there is so much opportunity there that is. you don't have to stay in one role. And everything that you learn from one experience or one role in L&D, you can always take it with you. I mean, it, yep. it, it can always be transferred and you can leverage it across the many different types of roles that there are in learning development. So yeah, we're on the same page, man. <laughs> and we have similar backgrounds. Mine just yeah. happens to be right. I'm the tech guy. So yeah. it works. You, you yeah. found your discipline. I found mine. Yeah. Um, so, so with this measurement one, this is something that I feel like with our industry has, has plagued us a little bit. It has for as long as I can remember where we, we struggle sometimes with it. And I think there's some core core issues behind why we do, but when you see this, is it as impossible as sometimes we make it out to be? I don't know that it's ever impossible, right? Yeah. So my, one of my guiding principles actually, um, and I have four, um, one of my guiding principles is that measuring the impact of training, learning, and talent development on performance, behavior, and actions may be difficult, but it is absolutely possible. And I think the fact that it is sometimes difficult is what scares people away from it um, because of the reality, and I like to keep it real, to borrow modern-day vernacular, um, is that so, sometimes it can feel uncertain, it can feel ambiguous, it can feel unsure, it can feel like hocus pocus. Um, and those are very uncomfortable places to be, right? Um, but it doesn't have to be any of those things that I just described. Um, if you have some some real intention and some purpose um, and some targets for behavior, performance, and actions, you can actually measure the extent to which training, learning, and talent development is influencing people's behavior, performance, and actions. So again, it's not always easy. So again, let's yeah. let's just put that out there. Let's just tell the truth about it um, because it's not always easy. But not easy does not mean not possible. It just means that it's not easy. Um, yeah. So, you know, if anyone were to say to me, yeah, you know, Kevin, there's no way to measure the impact of learning, I would have to really disagree with that. Yeah. Well, and some people, some people even I've, when people say, oh, it's easy, because you do see people on the extremes, right? You see the people mm -hmm. on the extreme that say it's mm -hmm. impossible. There's no way you can ever measure anything. And and I said it in one of the posts leading up to today's conversation. Mm. I, I think I've heard every excuse in the book as to why. So you've got that end. And then I've seen people on the other end that say, oh, it's simple. It's no problem. There's no challenge behind it. I would say I tend to fall more in the middle of that, that it's, Absolutely. are there some things that might be easy? Yeah. Is it, can it be a little bit more complicated? Yes. Um, but it's, it's certainly not impossible. I, the other good thing, I'd love your perspective on this because to me, some of it is that holds us back a little bit is the difficulty, right? The complexity of it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes what I've seen and just personally experienced is sometimes it's the fear of if we measure, then we actually know. And mm -hmm. that can be a little unnerving because sometimes <laughs> the answer is what we did didn't yeah. work. Yeah. And if we measure it, we know that and we may be held accountable to that. Do you do you do you agree? I agree 100 percent. Right. And, and so, you know, one of my other beliefs is that don't be afraid of the stories, the bad stories that data can tell. Be afraid of not doing anything with the results. Right. So here's the other reality that we don't want to talk about in the L&D industry. Uh, there are times where we do some really good work in terms of instructional design, in terms of delivery. Um, and I've seen the good work. I'm in the industry. Right. Um, but we we deliver that good work and nothing changes. The needle does not move at all. Right. Yep. Um, so I think that when you think about the peek behind the curtain that data gives to you, right? Um, there are times where the data will say to you, nothing here changed. Um, and actually, that's not always a bad thing, right? So if nothing changed, the question is, what do we need to stop doing and start doing differently? Because the data can show that you need to stop doing something. You need to not continue to do something that is not working. So that's where actually a bad story, quote unquote, yep. uh, becomes data that can inform some important decisions because that may mean stop spending money on something that's not working. Uh, stop taking people's time 
for something that is not working. So, you know, again, to bring it back to your question, yeah, I, I suspect that there is a fear that if we have data that says that what we are doing is not making an impact kind of scares people away. But I would redirect that fear um, and I would say use that data to your advantage because the essence of what it empowers you to do is to stop doing what's not working, go back, rethink it and look at ways in which you can deliver something that will work. So, yeah, so don't, don't be afraid of um the revelation that, you know, something isn't working or not. Making that, that, yeah. That maybe, maybe your baby was ugly. Like you, you look at the data and you go, you know what? It actually, we thought this was going to have a huge impact. Turns out, turns out it wasn't, yeah. you know, and, and to that fear piece, having been through this, I completely agree that as long as you have a, so what are we going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And do I have some exceptions? I have a couple where even though I had a, what are we going to do with it? It still didn't go so well. Yeah. But as a general rule, what I've found is as long as you can say, we measured it, this is what we learned, even if it was an epic failure, but mm -hmm. we learned from it, here's what we learned and here's what we're going to do differently. Yeah. That frequently is not met with, you know, anger or outrage or anything like that, but more a good, at least now we know. And like you said, we can either stop doing that or we can invest resources elsewhere. So it seems counterintuitive that admitting you failed would actually push you forward. But in yeah. some regards, yeah. it gives you more credibility. And the fact you can say, we actually measured it and learned something versus just, we think it did something. I, I agree, Christopher. And and I feel at this point in my career, I, I feel so liberated um, to be able to be honest and transparent and open about some things that I might not have felt the same about, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. So I share that to say, I am totally comfortable sharing now that there have been some programs that I have designed, created and delivered and have been accountable and responsible for that didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just the truth, right? Um, so I've, I've had, had a few that come to mind on my own. <laughs> yeah, man. So I've had those experiences. And so um, th that's where I, I like to be honest with the L&D community and my L&D brothers and sisters out there and say, you know, I've had I've had experiences where the data said that what I was accountable for delivering didn't do anything. Um, so it happens. Right. But again, what we want to do is focus on what we can do with the data, not so much that the data said something didn't work. Yeah, we know that story. But the question is, what are you going to do about it? So, yeah, let's let's just call that out and, and, and be OK with knowing that sometimes we'll get a story of impact when we use data. And sometimes we're going to get a story where there, there was no impact at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think we have to move to more of a, not just accepting that some things will fail, but expecting it and saying, we know that that's part of what drives our industry forward is trying things, knowing that some of them may not work, but you won't know if it worked or didn't work if you don't measure anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we need data as fact-based evidence to tell those stories. Not what we think, not what we hope, <laughs> not what we feel, not what we believe. Um, but when you are empowered with data as fact-based evidence, man, that just changes the game. It, it really yeah. does. Particularly yeah. for, for L&D, because that's not a game that we've been in. You know, there are other industries and there are other, you know, parts of organizations and businesses that have been using data for years. Um, yeah. We're, we're still kind of new to that, even though we've been talking about it for the past 10 years almost, we're still really new to it. And that's what I'm excited about. Um, I'm excited about the newness of it all. I'm excited about the entry of data and measurement and analytics into the L&D industry. I just, I think it's amazing. And it's particularly amazing because I've been in the industry for as long as I have. And I remember what it looked like 20 years ago and to see where it's headed now, it blows my mind. I mean, there are so many incredible, exciting opportunities for L&D for how we can leverage data and measurement and analytics. I'm, I am, I'm just geeked, <laughs> if you can't tell. Literally, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and yeah, I think sometimes our industry is pretty hard on ourselves and we, we tend to look back or look at what we're not doing. And, and that's there's room for that. I think there definitely is some room for self-reflection and going, we can do better, especially yes. given the fact that now more than ever, I feel that the bar is higher for us, mm -hmm. for what we're doing, the expectations businesses are putting on us. 
what's expected out of us is is higher. And the only way we really can achieve that is through measurement to be able to say, here's here's what we're doing, here's what's working, here's what's not. Yeah. Um, you know, and and right now you look at it, the the term I use is I feel like our industry is positioned to take a moonshot mm. right now, where yeah. organizations are recognizing that hey, there's there's some value in what they're doing. We see the contributions and how this is driving us forward. And and organizations are taking a little bit more of a bet on us. Mm-hmm. But if we don't play it right, if we take the moonshot wrong and we're off, mm-hmm. we have the potential to get shot back to where we were before, where it was like, well, we gave it a chance and <laughs> turns out really it, it didn't do what we thought it was going to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like that point you made early. I want to reconnect back to it. You talked about us being hard on ourselves, and I think that what we have to do as an industry, as an L&D industry, what we have to do is be kinder to ourselves when we think about data and metrics and measurement analytics, and we got to have a little bit of empathy for ourselves as well. And here's why I say that. Um, If you think about our history, measurement data and analytics is just not embedded in our DNA, because particularly when we think about using metrics and measurement data analytics to, to show impact. Because historically, what we've used to show impact is how many people have we trained? How many courses have we delivered? How many people like the instructor? How many people enjoyed the food? Was the classroom comfortable? So those are some of the traditional measures that we've used. So this transition from kind of like, you know, employee satisfaction, moving the paradigm over to how did training and learning impact employee behavior? That's that's a new way of thinking for us, man. That's like a totally different mindset. So let's let's recognize that. Let's not use it as a crutch. But, you know, we often hear that we're moving too slow, that, you know, we we haven't moved as fast as we should with using metrics, data and analytics. And there's a reason for that. Right. It's because of our history. And the other part is that it's a new discipline. I mean, when you think about some of the skill sets and capabilities that are required to use measurement data and analytics for L&D, those have just not been part of our skill set, our traditional skill set. So we got to build that um, or we got to, you know, hire to that um, or we have to retrain for that. But my point here, Christopher, is that, you know, again, let's be kind to ourselves. Um, Let's remember our history when we're thinking about why it's taken us so long, let's think about where we are and then let's be excited about all this, this new way of thinking that we're having now about how to embed metrics and measurement and data um, and analytics into L and D because it's exciting. So on the one hand, um, let's be kind to ourselves. Let's not beat ourselves up, but on the other hand, let's just make sure we're moving forward and taking advantage of all the exciting opportunities that there are out there for using data in L and D. Well, and this even grows, this even grows what we talked, you talked earlier about how broad L&D is. This Mm -hmm. only broadens what it can mean to work in L&D, if you think about it from that standpoint, because now, you know, analytics and data measurement, like that's, that's a new skill set that you can find in L&D. You might have said, well, I didn't go into L&D because I'm more of a numbers person. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Being a numbers person now can be part of l and I think to me, Absolutely. that's the exciting part is it builds out even more what it can mean to be part of learning and development. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a numbers person. Yeah. So let's be clear about that. Um, statistics is not my background. Data is not my background. Analytics is not my background. But you um, love it. Yeah. No. So, I mean, you know, like my my background is very traditional in terms of quote unquote business, right? So I have an undergrad degree in business management, a graduate degree in curriculum, instruction and education. All of that has nothing to do with metrics measurement data. (laughs) But, you know, again, when I reached that point of really wanting to transition out of the industry, curiosity led everything. So because I'm curious and because I'm interested, I've had to figure out how to be good at numbers and metrics and data. And actually, the interesting thing is that numbers scare me. I mean, and I'm just not someone who is drawn to numbers. As a matter of fact, what was it? When I was in high school, I think it might have been algebra or trig. trig, And I think I might have had to take it twice. (laughs) That's how afraid I am of numbers. Um, So I'm pretty amazed at myself when I look at where I had a growth. You had a growth mindset 
and you upskilled yourself. Yeah. And right. You, you can make the journey. You, you yeah. didn't do it because, oh, well, I, this is always what I've done, but you, you proved that you could. So. And everything I do is led by curiosity. Like literally, I'm, I'm just, I'm really curious about the extent to which, because someone had a, a learning experience or a training experience, I'm curious about the extent to which how that influences what they do. I mean, that that's real curiosity for me. So any fear of numbers that I might have, is is trumped power curiosity yeah yep so two two follow-up questions that i think will yeah. will lead us forward here so one i think we can tie this this should not necessarily send us down a rabbit trail but we'll see depending on how the comments come in <laughs> and things like that um but then then the other one i think will continue to move us forward here so the one is you talked about historically and i think looking back at history is is extremely important i think we can learn a lot from from history not just in l and d but to help us not make the same mistakes yeah. but one is around the satisfaction data or the attendance data things like that that we historically have leaned on yeah. as our measures mm-hmm. my my take on that and i actually had a discussion and i'm leading another discussion tomorrow on this is that it's not bad it's incomplete Um, it's not necessarily that you shouldn't do that or that it doesn't matter and you can ignore it, Mm -hmm. but that it's, it's one piece of a complicated puzzle. And if that's all you're looking at, then, then that's, you know, so when you, when you work with people, you talk about it, do you necessarily drive people towards no ignore attendance, things like that? Or are you approaching it more from a, let's look at the whole Kirkpatrick (laughs) measurement thing versus just level one? Yeah. That's a that's a such a great point, you know, man. Because there is so much debate amongst ourselves in our industry about, you know, what is what is that quote unquote level one data mean? Does it have a place? Should we abandon it? Should we continue using it? And my thought is very similar to yours in that um, if you think about if you think about it from the perspective of what I do as an L and D detective, I'm looking for all the facts. I'm looking for all the clues. I'm looking for all the evidence, all the data that tells a story about impact, right? So what that says to me is that data that we're talking about right now, you know, that pulse learning evaluation data and even some of that operational data. So by pulse learning evaluation data, I mean where you're collecting feedback from employees about their experience, you know, do they anticipate that their experience is gonna impact their performance? Um, Do they see value in the course? And then some of those other metrics that I like to call operational, which is yep. like um, how many classes did we deliver in Q1? Um, how many modalities are we offering learning through? Um, those are important pieces of information because if you're going to tell the whole story and yep. as the LMB detective, if I'm co- conducting an investigation, those are some important facts and some data and some pieces of information I need to tell the whole story. Where I believe we have an opportunity to do something different is not spending too much time with that data, right? And being deliberate and strategic with who we share that data with. So if I am the CEO of an organization, I'm probably not too interested in how many people you trained last quarter. I'm probably very interested in you telling me a story about the extent to which your learning solutions are helping with our business goals. I'm probably very interested in that. So it's 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 just having the right focus on the data, on the information, and sharing that information with the right people. So I'll bring it back to your question. Do we need to abandon the what we call traditional level one data? Absolutely not. We can't because if we abandon it, then there is a part of the story that leads to showing impact is going to be missing. So I just say, let's take some of the focus, the heavy focus that we've had on it, um, and let's make sure that we're focusing on the full story, not just the story about level one data, because quite often, and this is what I've seen, and again, I'm guilty of it too, because again, I've been in the industry for a bit now. Sometimes we see that that's where the story ends for some L&D organizations and some training teams. So they measure employee satisfaction, and that's all they measure. So I am encouraging our industry, uh, our L&D brothers and sisters to say, yeah, keep looking at that data, um, yep. but keep looking at more data that is ultimately going to get you to answer the question, what is the impact of training and learning? Yeah. Well, and and 
you the second point you brought up that I think is so important is that we we coach people in L&D all the time to consider your audience, right? We talk about the learner experience and who your audience is. And sometimes with data, I don't think we do that. Like you said, you know, we go to the CEO with the same data we go to our learning operations manager with. And it's like, well, those are two different people with two different needs. Yeah. And we need to think about it that way because that level one data, the level two data, it does help. I think a lot of it is internal stuff, right? When yeah. we look at resource planning or yeah. when we want to give feedback to our design teams on what do people think about this? Are they finding it relevant? Right. Yeah. Those things. Yeah. Th that's important data. The CEO or the, the head of that business unit, you're like I, I don't really care whether people liked you know the way yeah. this e-learning was designed. Yeah. Um, one other question that came up, you know, from Boss, and he brought this up, and I think this is one where there is a little bit of a delicate balancing act. And mm -hmm. his question was right, but what do you measure? And he listed off some things. Mm -hmm. My take on that, and I, I love <clears throat> yours as well, is if you're looking for the universal playbook of like what are the top, I see articles like this all the time, you know, top five metrics for this or top. I personally have not found that there is just a universal, mm. always go for these metrics and you'll always be good because it can be so unique based mm -hmm. on what you're doing. What's your take? That is so true, man. I mean, it's like, okay, so, you know, I totally get that frameworks are good because <laughs> they give best practice guidance. I'm all for frameworks and frameworks have helped me. So I don't want to bash frameworks. Um, but I also know because of my experience in my work that when it comes to measuring impact and the data that you use, a lot of times it, it's not cookie cutter. Yeah. Um, it's just not um, because there are different performance metrics that you want to map back to learning. There are different business performance metrics that you want to map back to the learning experience to determine whether or not there's an impact. So I don't know um, from my own personal experience that there's like a top five or even a top three <laughs> or even a top two metrics that you always want to look at. Kevin I, I is can't... not going to put out a white paper on top 10 metrics every L&D leader should be tracking. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't, in good faith, I can't say that um, because I believe that each initiative for measurement deserves its own um, metrics and data that you're going to use to measure impact. Because, okay, well, here's a, here's a good example, uh, Christopher. So the metrics that you use to measure impact from a leadership development program might not be the same metrics that you use for a communications program, training program. because. Those are two, I mean, the, the, the skills intersect a little bit, but the essence of what I'm saying here is that, you know, based on the performance behavior and actions that you are targeting in your learning solutions, um, there's going to be a difference from program to program, metric to metric, data point to data point. So, yeah, I, I just, I, I cannot comfortably say that there's a top two or three or four metrics that you should always look at. Yeah. And well, that's, and I was just going to say, but... Cool. See, that goes back to what I said earlier. Is measuring the impact of learning always easy? No. Um, and what we're talking about now is one of those things that makes it not easy because it's dynamic. You know, it flows, it ebbs, it moves, it changes. And the fact that we don't have like this cookie cutter approach to it is what makes it a challenge. But again, if it's a challenge um, and if it's not always easy, that doesn't mean that it's not possible. It, it just means that you got to, you know, roll up your sleeves and use a little bit more elbow grease. And, a little more elbow. But it's absolutely grease. possible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm smiling because I just noticed Amazon pulled up behind me and is delivering a package. But um, <laughs> speaking of data. Speaking of data. Well, and and there's a question that came up from Sanjeev that I, I'll, I think we'll tackle the second half of it maybe a little okay. bit later because it's like there's a lot of data coming in from a lot of different platforms and things like that. So mm -hmm. we'll talk about the tech in a bit. But the point that he made or that he's asking about and what we just talked about from this, there is no top 10 metrics L&D, every L&D leader should be focused on, is the fact that, and I talked about this in my post leading up to this, we need to start with the end in mind when mm. it comes to things and be mm. asking those questions around, okay, what problem are we trying to solve? Yeah. 
And because then that helps you say, well, if that's the problem we're trying to solve, how will we measure yeah. if it's been solved? And that helps us go, okay, then where's that data sit and where mm. can we be finding that data? Mm -hmm. um, you know, any, anything you'd want to add to that? I think that end in mind, right? Thinking with outcomes first yes. instead of solutions first, and then we'll backtrack and figure out, well, okay, we yep. did this. Now did it work? You're spot on. Um, and we hear it so often that I'm, I'm trying to figure out why we haven't caught on to it. So we do have to start with the end in mind when it comes to measuring impact for training, learning, and talent development. And what I have actually done now, Christopher, um, in my keynotes and my workshops, my presentations, I've set aside a section where I'm spending some good time on this idea. Measurement, data, and analytics will not answer the question, what is the impact of learning? If you don't have an intentional specific target for performance, behavior, and actions, it will not happen. It will not work. And that is where I see the, 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 the biggest fail, right? Because we haven't targeted upfront the specific behavior, performance, or actions that people need to take that are going to be influenced by the learning solution, the training solution, the training and learning experience. So that is what we have to lead with. We don't even have to lead with measurement. One of our first conversations with our stakeholders and our partners needs to be clarity about the target that we have for performance, behavior, and actions. And I'm telling you, man, I have been in this game long enough to know that if we do not get that right, we will not get measurement right. We will not get mm -hmm. data right. We will not get analytics right because we don't know what we're looking for. So right. if it sounds like I'm a broken record, it's because I am deliberately so. So I'm going to say it again. <laughs> nice you, right? Say it again. Measurement, data, and analytics will not answer the question, what is the impact of learning without an intentional, specific, purposeful target for performance, behavior, and actions? We got to start with that first. Yeah. Well, and the way I, I frame it up or the frame framework, we just talked about how we hate frameworks. But but again, the, the piece <laughs> that I look at it as is it's like, what are we trying to achieve? And yeah. then the way I back into that is in order to achieve that, what do we need people to know? What do we need them to feel? And what do they need? We need them to do. And when you start with those conversations, David Glow brought it up and, and we kind of went back and forth a little bit on one of the comments as we were getting ready for this is the fact that it actually does make measurement that much easier. It does. Because now you know this is where we're going. You're collaborating instead of doing it within the vacuum of learning and development. You're partnering yep. with your business leaders and saying, all right, we're trying to achieve this. This is what we think people need to know, do and feel. Yeah. Well, now the measurement's more just the challenge of figuring out how do we find the right data to see if we actually impacted that. Yeah. And 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 I'm going to I'm going to challenge what you said there just a little bit, brother Christopher, for because for I me I don't need you just to agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, here's the thing because here's where I see the other challenge. Um we express behavioral outcomes and action outcomes and performance outcomes as what people know or understand, right? Well, Think about what we're trying to measure. We're trying to measure the extent to which there is an observance of a behavior or an action yeah. or a level of performance, which says to me, I got to ask, if someone knows something, what does that look like? If someone understands something, how does that show up day to day in the work that they're doing? So my question then is, if you know something or if you understand something, what does that look like? If I were to look at you knowing or understanding something, what does that look like? If I were to observe you executing based on what you know in your role or you understanding based on what you know in your role, what does that look like? Because I need to be able to describe it so that I can then observe it so that I can then measure it. So I would just say um, one of the opportunities we have as an L&D industry is to kind of step away from even things like describing our learning objectives as you will learn, you will know, or you oh, will no, understand. understand. Yeah. yeah, let's let's change that. And rather than talk about what you'll know or what you'll learn or what you'll understand, why don't you describe what I'll be able to do and describe it as performance-based, as behavior-based and action-based?
Yeah. yeah. Well, and the thing with that, see, we didn't disagree. We don't disagree because I think <laughs> those things are so interconnected, right? There yeah. are there times, and and Mike Pino and I have talked about this before, where yeah, right there Mike. is a knowledge component. Sometimes yeah. it's like there are things you need to know. Yeah. But ultimately, right, we need to be able to action against that and say, so what do Absolutely. you want me to do with that? And I feel like learners in many cases have struggled with that because it's like, yeah. okay, so I went through this thing, mm. got all these great knowledge nuggets. Okay, like I don't really know where to go from that. And I think yeah. that's, you know, Nick Shackleton Jones talks about it all the time. Knowledge transfer is not learning. Just because people know something mm. now does yeah. not necessarily mean they learned anything. So I, yeah, so we're aligned. We, we, we are aligned. And I'm going to do a shameless plug here because on this topic, um, I wrote an article for Training Industry um, and it's called Goodbye Learning Objectives uh, Hello Performance Based Descriptions. Which won a readership award, by the way, last year. Oh, um, and plugs are allowed on the show. I do no, allow. But, but 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 it's important because it talks about what we're talking about right now. What employees are really interested in, and how we can get them engaged, is describing to them how our learning solutions, our training experiences, are going to impact their performance, impact their behavior, and impact their actions. So if we can describe that rather than a learning objective, which tells them what they'll be able to learn, know, or understand. I believe that we'll make better connections for them. We'll create better expectations for them and they'll be better connected and see the value in our learning solutions and our learning experiences. Yeah. And, well, and that all leads up to some of the big challenges that we're trying to face now with upskilling and helping people do this is they need to understand how this stuff connects to their day-to-day -day and mm -hmm. how they're going to move forward. You know, if somebody yeah. had told you, what, 10 years ago and just said, you need to know learning measurement metrics. <laughs> you might've just been like, I'm no, I, I just don't, that's not my jam. I could see but, that too. Like, yeah, Kevin, you really, you really need to know how to measure impact. Mm. Mm. Okay. Or you really need to understand <laughs> how to use data. Yeah. Or you, you need to learn how to find facts and evidence that shows impact. That doesn't resonate with me. Right. Yeah. Um, talk to me about, how how I'll be empowered to behave differently or act differently or how my performance will be heightened or influenced or changed. Yeah. yeah. Well, and maybe maybe we need to go help influence some of the uh, academic curriculum around this because going through undergrad and grad school in mm -hmm. education, I can tell mm -hmm. you there were classes dedicated to writing learning objectives. And yeah. I've taken that and thrown it out the window because it's like, well, that's not... That's not how we approach it. So, yeah. okay. So this gets back, right? We took a little bit of a path. I didn't think we would, but it's okay because that was a great discussion around this. Yeah. It's important. And it is. And it and, plays and in the measurement. It does, right? It wasn't irrelevant. We weren't talking cartoon characters again. So, <laughs> so perfect. But the, the second part of that is I think sometimes, and I, and I see this with technology as well, is that sometimes people are afraid to take the first step because there's a perception or a fear that everyone else is, is way out here. Everyone else is already mm. doing it. And this mm -hmm. kind of imposter syndrome of, well, I just don't want to admit that we're not doing it. So, and instead I'm just not going to start as you talk to organizations, has everyone out there already done all this, right? Is, is everybody cracked the measurement nut? And if you're the one person watching going, well, we really aren't doing that. We're still focused on level one stuff. They're the only one in the world. That's my question. Is that is that the norm Gee, or the exception? I'm being sarcastic here. No, I've I've not run across that at all. Not at all, man. I think that just based on my experience, if I were to think about percent of organizations who are very far along in the impact measurement journey as an industry, and I'm even gonna go so far as to say globally because I've worked with organizations all around the world. For those industries that are far along in the measurement impact journey and data analytics journey, I'm, I'm going to say, man, something like 5%. Um, we are at different points in the journey as an industry. But if you think again about people who are rather organizations that, you know, are really at the farthest end of that journey, we're talking about 5%. So the remaining 95% are at different places. So it's and an opportunity area is what you're it's saying. It's a huge opportunity area. Yeah. And and those that variance depends on size of organization, um, depends on resources, because you have some L&D organizations 
and training teams where there's only one person, right? And then on the other spectrum of that, you have ones that are global and have hundreds of people. And so depending upon, you know, organization size, organization resources, all of that's going to drive where you are in the journey. So in terms of organizations who have totally figured it out, I would even say in that 5%, I don't believe anyone has figured it all out. You know, I don't think that we have like reached the gold standard yet. I think that to your point, there's just all this tremendous opportunity, man. And that's why I am so excited because there's so much we can do. There's so much further to grow. There's there's so many more places that that we can go with measurement data and analytics and L&D. And I think that we all need to be excited about that. So, you know, again, going back to your question, have we reached this kind of state of perfection? And, you know, is everybody where they need to be and all that? Oh, no, not at all. But let's be excited about that because that represents opportunity. Well, and I think that makes people feel more comfortable to say, hey, I, you know, I'm not in the minority on this, right? Absolutely. This is the majority. And we can, this is part of this show. It's part of why I think, you know, the active community online is so, yeah. so active is because we're trying to help each other out. This isn't a, well, we've got it figured out and you're just behind. It's, we're all working towards this. Um, yeah, so, we are. And I'm going to let everybody in on a little secret here. Guess what? I haven't figured it all out either. <laughs> What? I mean, again, again <laughs> I, I'm just keeping it real. So if the question is whether or not there are days where I am scratching my head because I can't figure something out when it comes to data and analytics. Yeah, I have those days. But I think perhaps the difference for me is that when I have those days, I'm committed to plowing through and figuring it out and talking to people and getting help and reaching out to people like you and other people in the industry who are focused on measurement data and analytics. So again let's let's be real um let's be honest let's tell the truth even someone like me um and i am so grateful and i'm really humbled um that the lnd industry recognizes me as an expert and i do believe that i have expertise but even within that expertise christopher when i'm trying to measure impact sometimes there are things that i can't figure out um there are some times where i can't find the answer but the commitment that I have to the industry and to myself is that I'll just continue to plow through and figure it out. So again, I'll repeat it again. We talked about it earlier. It's not always easy, but it is absolutely possible. Yeah. Yep. I, we are, we are very well aligned on that. And I think that's, that's why we have these conversations, right? That's why we decided to say, let's do this live instead of in yeah. our Zoom sessions so that you know, Boss and Nick and Sanjeev and Toby could join the conversation and be part of the discussion and, and you know, contribute to that. Because I yeah. think regardless of how much of an expert you are in your field, there's always room to grow and there's always things you can learn. Absolutely. Which leads to the next piece to me, which is even the 5% that may be getting close, which 5% may still be generous there, that's changing dramatically even in front of our eyes because of how technology is changing the landscape of what's possible. And I think that's the thing that to me gets me geeked when it comes to measurement is that some of these things, you know, I look back to what we talked about earlier, where before we spent a lot of time as an industry focusing on completions and, and, you know, how many people showed up and how many people liked it and was the food good. <laughs> some of that because was because it was very difficult to measure the impact on an individual human, like their ability to perform, whether it was resources, right? Mm -hmm. L&D doesn't have an army of people to chase people around and see, did they go back to work and did mm -hmm. they do the thing or were they able to execute that? And I do see technology opening up new opportunities to give people chances to practice, to experience. Yeah. Yeah. And we can measure that, right? Yes. Did they get better at this thing? Mm -hmm. That now gives us some quantitative data where before yeah. it was very qualitative. Do you have the confidence, you know, things like that? Or, you know, and that to me is the part that's exciting. I agree. Um, and as a matter of fact, when I think about what we are able to do now with technology and say, say things like a business simulation, right? that may replicate um, what a real world experience is on, on the job, in the role day to day. So you are able in a virtual environment, if you will, to replicate what that looks like. Um, and you can record and capture and use data that shows how people are responding 
in this simulated world or in this virtual world and how they are performing and behaving and acting in this virtual world or the simulated world, how they're making decisions, what, what choices are they making um, that would give us data on where we need to focus more in supporting people in their performance with learning and where they're getting it right. So maybe where we don't need to spend as much time. So when you think about it from the perspective of being able to collect real, real quantitative data that says, as a result of a learning experience, here's how people are performing in this virtual simulated world. And here's how we can reasonably con conclude that they will perform in the real world. And you make those connections with data and you show how that learning impacted choices and decisions in the business simulation or the virtual environment. Um, when you start to make those kinds of connections, that's where the data just gets amazing, right? And then, and then it's data informed, it's data enabled. So it's not what we think, it's not what we hope, it's not what we feel, it's what the data says. Um, right. And that's when it becomes powerful. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and that's I, I just think the, the implications of this are massive. And this is where, mm. like I said, this is where I start geeking out. We're even like on the <laughs> knowledge piece, right? Yeah. We used to say, well, do people know this stuff? Well, before it was based on did they pass a quiz? That didn't necessarily yeah. tell us yeah. if we know. We look at adaptive technologies. We can now really start to assess, well, where is their knowledge level? From a behavior standpoint, mm -hmm. there are some simulations that are just not safe to put people in and say, mm -hmm. here, go go try and do this activity that's not safe. And now we can and see how mm -hmm. they perform and coach. Mm -hmm. But the point that I'm going to lead to on this, and I know we're both aligned on this, is that throwing new and fancy technology at things isn't going to magically create measurement magic. It won't. Um, there's some things we got to get right first. So at the risk of sounding like a broken record, I'm going to go back to something. Yeah. Measurement, data, analytics, and now I'm going to add in technology. Will not answer the question, what is the impact of training and learning if you've not set an intentional specific target for behavior, performance, and actions? So you can throw technology at something, but if you've not done the basics, and that is to figure out what does the end look like? What are the outcomes? What are the performance and behavior and actions that we're trying to change or influence with training, learning, and talent development. If we don't figure that out first, Christopher, I don't care how much technology you use. I don't care how much data you have. I don't care how much measurement you try to do. You won't get at the answer. So technology, when you have targeted those areas of behavior, performance, and actions, technology then becomes an incredible factor to answer that question because technology can help you answer that question. And that's exciting because technology allows you to work smarter, not harder with your measurement efforts and your uh, the way in which you are using data. So technology has a role, period, end of story. It does. It does. But if you've not taken care of the basics first, you got to be clear that if you are designing a training or a learning program, have a leadership development program, whatever it is, you got to be clear about the expected outcomes. And by expected outcomes, I mean performance, behavior, and actions. You got to name that. You got to identify what that is. So when you're clear about that and you know what you're looking for, then I say, let's take a look at technology and figure out how it can help us answer those questions about impact faster, better, smarter. Yeah. And but you can't just throw technology at no, it. You cannot. You, no, you'll, and yeah. Well, and what you talked about earlier, which is growing the measurement muscle, right? Growing that muscle is, it's it's an exercise. You don't go to the it gym is. once and come out looking like <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. It doesn't work that way. I wish, and man. So, I wish, yeah, right. So that's a, that's, that's a muscle that you have to grow. And the risk yeah. of throwing technology at it too early is the technology piece is complex in and of itself, right? Navigating that territory Mm -hmm. is not easy. And sometimes I think when people go after both and just hope they can just throw it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I think and, that's and, sound guidance. And here's what I've seen also is a risk. If you don't get the basics first and you throw technology in too soon and you make the investment in technology, you're not able to go back and show your CFO, your chief financial officer, 
how the investment in that technology has helped move the needle on measuring the impact of learning because there are some things that you didn't do first, which then risk the opportunity for you to reinvest in that technology when the time comes up for renewal because you didn't figure out how to use that technology the right yep. way in the first place, right? Yep. So that's why you gotta be you gotta be sure that you are ready for the implementation of technology to support your measurement efforts before you do it. And I wanna restate this again, because I've seen it and I've used technology for measurement data and analytics that has empowered me to work smarter, faster, better. So technology undeniably, undoubtedly plays a role in this measurement game, but you gotta make sure that you pull technology in at the right time. And that right time would be when you have the basics for your measurement strategy right first. Yep. And that's an absolutely phenomenal risk to highlight because it happens. I've seen it happen all the time mm -hmm. and technology gets the rap, right? They, well, we spent all this money, we bought all this fancy stuff and now we can't justify the investment that we made. Yeah. And then it's the technology's fault. And it's like, yeah. well, no, it's not the technology's <laughs> fault. You didn't, you bought a Ferrari and you don't know how to drive a stick. Like that's, yeah. that's a problem. Oh, I love um, that analogy. <laughs> it's you so can, appropriate. Can, That's cool. Yeah. It's true. It's true. And it happens all the time. Um, so one quick question I'll address uh, that came through from Joel Beasley, you know, what would a data hey, point be? In, hey, Joel, um, you know, is what would a data point in a simulation look like? And I, I think I'll answer this with what we just talked about, which is that answer is as wide as the ocean is deep, because depending on the outcome that you're driving towards, the data point you may be looking for in a simulation is going to vary because you may say, well, I can think of an example where we're trying to evaluate people's ability to ask probing questions and open-ended questions. That's the data point. We want to see how many closed-ended questions are asked versus open-ended. That would change if I was running a simulation on how do you have a difficult conversation with an employee. So I think it's, it's a completely different question to be asking. Yeah, and, and then maybe if we contextualize a little bit for Joel, Joel is a good friend of mine. He He's doing some Joel amazing too. work with LeaderBits. Um, I, th I think the question is around, in a simulation, um, a data point, a very, gen a very generic data point might be the extent to which in this similar in, uh, simulated environment, someone made a right decision versus someone made a wrong decision. I mean, at the highest level, right? Yes. That would be a data point, right? So are people responding to a scenario or a situation um, the way in which the organization has decided is appropriate or that drives growth or that, you know, is is how they want people to be acting, performing or behaving. So, again, um, to Christopher's point, you know, that's a very broad question. But if we try to contextualize a little bit, um, you can measure the extent to which people are making preferred decisions in a simulation or, you know, a virtual world compared to them not making the preferred decision exactly. or you know the right choice or the, did they know, turn the right left option. or did they turn right and yeah. with technology we can even start to get into how long did it take them to decide to turn left yeah. or right yeah. and all of those good things so yeah. Yeah. all right so let's let's wrap it up i told you we would get to the top of the hour and we would run out we would not run out of things to talk about has it been an hour it goodness. has it has already been an hour. Wow. Um, so so those of you who may have just tuned in now um, or are listening and catching up, I think you know the, the big takeaways from this conversation are, are not run out and buy some new fancy technology or just start capturing every data point that you possibly can and hope to figure something out, but that you instead start with that end in mind and think about what are we trying to solve and then back into that. And that not everybody's doing this perfectly now. So if, if you're not, if you're listening to this going, oh man, we've got a ways to go, that's fine. You're, you're with most other people and it's an exciting journey to be on. Kevin's dedicated his career to it now. That's how exciting it is. That's pretty exciting, I've got to say. So um, anything else you would add to that, Kevin? Yeah, I, and again, I, I'm just going to close with my message every time someone is willing to listen to me talk about it every time I deliver a keynote, a workshop, a presentation. Here's what we got to remember as an industry. Measurement, data, analytics, technology will not answer the question, what is the impact of training and learning if we've not set an intentional target for behavioral outcomes, for performance outcomes, and for action outcomes 
for our training and our learning solutions first. We have to be clear about that first, and then we can start to think about measurement data, analytics, and technology that will help us show impact. We, sh- we could have just done that a minute and 30 seconds and then just called the show, you know, but no, that was, that was great. Uh, th- thanks so much, Kevin. And honestly, anybody out there watching it, Kevin's fantastic. Yeah, thanks everybody. So if you need some guidance, reach out to him, um, tag, like people share this post. I think there's a lot of great content that people could walk away from and just really get the noodle turning. So thanks Kevin for, for being here on your day off and joining me. Um, this has been fun and this has been uh, awesome. Look forward to catching up again, maybe not live, but uh, when our yeah. next conversation. Good to see you, Christopher. And, and thanks, everybody, for listening and watching. All right. Thanks, everybody.